In order to truly become part of the global business environment, your business needs to constantly change and adapt to a variety of new constants. Welcome to Leadership Beyond Borders with Kimberly J. Lewis. We will help you navigate these changes on today's program and help you think beyond the boundaries. The opportunities are limitless if you are prepared. Now, here is your host, Kimberly J. Lewis. Hello and welcome to Leadership Beyond Borders. I'm Kimberly Lewis, your host. And this series is in cooperation with Cinda Virtual, which brings you thought leadership from around the world. Now, you can learn more about Cinda under www.cinda.org. But we don't only bring you thought leadership from around the world. We have listeners from all over the world. So good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you may be listening from today. And if you're new to this series, let me tell you what this series is about. Leadership Beyond Borders is about the impact globalization, digital transition, and the connected world is having on our organizations and what this impact is doing to the kind of leadership we need to drive long-term success in today's economy. In this series, we've talked about everything from business issues such as artificial intelligence, digital transition, and data protection regulations to leadership issues such as gender balance, business values and ethics, and the many issues that will impact your organization or your individual career. So please listen to us live every Tuesday at 3 p.m. Pacific time. And if you miss us, don't worry about it because you can find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, and every major podcast platform. In this series, you can really listen to great advice. Now, I also invite you to connect with me. Please send me your thoughts and insights to leadershipbeyondborders at gmail.com. Connect with me on my website, leadershipbeyondborders.net. And let me know what the kind of subjects you want to hear on Leadership Beyond Borders are. So if you're in a leadership position or aspire to be in one, regardless if your business is international or local, make sure you join us each week and we will make sure that you take away something useful for either your business or for yourself. And today, we're going to give you some information that is really for both your business and yourself. Time is the most precious resource we have because once it's gone, you can't take it back. Many times, we don't realize this only until it's too late. You know, sometimes we experience things such as a loss of a loved one, an illness, a loss of a job, or even something more world-reaching such as the pandemic. And when these things happen, it really makes us reflect on time. But we realize it and very often don't do anything about it. We, have, we don't do things about it because, because we're, quite, we're living in quite a superficial world. Um, very often money is often seen as the most important thing. We kind of get caught up in our jobs. Um, we focus on being busy. And then all of a sudden time has gone by. And when we talk about time management very often, we talk about based on I'm going to manage my time in my office better. But we don't really look at our whole life. And today we're going to t- 
take a look at time from a larger perspective, you know, how we can organize time, and we're going to do it with an expert in the area of time and happiness. Our guest today is Ashley Willens, and she is the author of Time Smart, How to Reclaim Your Time and Live a Happier Life. It came out in October 2020. She is the assistant professor at Harvard Business School and a leading scholarship scholar in time and happiness and in the time and happiness research field. She earned her PhD in social psychology from the University of British Columbia. Ashley was twice named a rising star of behavioral science by Behavioral Science and Policy Association. She is part of the Global Happiness Council and the Workplace and Wellbeing Initiative at Harvard University. And she advises many companies on workplace and well-being strategies for both nonprofit and profit partners. She has written about her research and has been featured in numerous outlets, including Harvard Business Review, New York Times, Washington Post, LAL Times, CNN, BBC, The Atlantic, The Economist, and The Wall Street Journal. And she's taken her time to be with us today. Thank you, Ashley, and welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah. So um, let's kind of start, Ashley, with the big, you know, uh, big question. And you talk in your book, which is which is excellent, and I advise people to get it about time poverty or a time poverty epidemic. What is that about? Yeah. So you know, because of the changing nature of work, and we'll get into the reasons in a moment. Over 80% of employed adults report feeling time poor, like they have too many things to do in a day and not enough time in the day to do them. And these feelings of time poverty can have a really negative effect for our happiness, our social relationships, and even our physical health. In one data set that I analyzed of 3 million Americans, these feelings of time poverty had a stronger negative effect on happiness than being unemployed. So it's pervasive. It happens to all of us. And time poverty has only increased in recent decades as opposed to decreased, despite the fact that GDP has increased worldwide. Countries are wealthier, but they're also more stressed out. Well, well, that's an interesting uh, question. I want to ask if there's any kind of correlation. So GDP has increased, uh, you know, um, but you know we're feeling more of this time poverty. Is it is it because society is pushing us in the directions of this epidemic? That um, what's soci- what kind of role is the economy and society playing in this? Yes, absolutely. So society has a major role. Both are individual decisions, which we'll talk about as well, but mm-hmm. also societal factors are pushing us toward work, all working all the time and not having any time for ourselves. So in one very concrete example, what we've observed is that as the nature of work has fundamentally changed less from going into a factory and producing a, a certain number of widgets every single day, more to knowledge work, it becomes harder to identify and sort productive, more productive and less productive workers. And so what organizations have started to do is use hours as a proxy for commitment. So this is creating this constant, always on culture, which is compounded by the economic inequality that we're observing in societies around the world. So as work changes and as our societies become more financially unstable, we focus even more on work even if that comes at the expense of our leisure, our social relationships, our physical health, and our happiness. 
Yeah. And that that makes sense to me because when you talk about you know um, the work maybe you know twenty thirty years ago was in the factory um, and, and then when you left the factory you went home I mean very very few people brought things home but today if we're moving to a knowledge based society where where the knowledge has the value and um, for the for the for the companies, you 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 can't just leave your brain at work, right? You're bringing it home with you, and Absolutely. how does that affect you? Yeah. yeah, and I mean, our technology is also you know we'd be remiss not to talk about the role of technology in that. Okay. <laughs> so the nature of work has changed, sure, but also technology which was supposed to free us from the office, now means we take our offices and our work with us everywhere we go. This is known in the organizational behavior literature as the autonomy paradox. And that creates these psychological feelings of time poverty. Not only do we feel like we have less time available, even though time use data suggests we have more leisure time available now than in the 1950s because of modern conveniences like laundry machines and microwaves, for example. Um, But we... You know, our technology disrupts our leisure into small fragmented moments of free time that easily go missing. And our technology pulls us out of the present moment. So when we're trying to enjoy a leisurely Saturday afternoon off, our alerts Mm. on our phone from work remind us of all the things we could or should be doing. And then we don't enjoy our leisure to the same extent. So both our work and our technology go hand in hand to shape these rising feelings of time poverty that so many of us are experiencing. Yeah, and the technology. I'm going to come back to that later. Um, but you you kind of triggered a question. Um, you know, with this uh, being on all the time, uh, we're in a we're in a global economy today, and it's an extremely competitive workplace. Um, how does that pay a, play a role in this? Yeah. So I mean, of course, again, what we've been observing is promotions go to people who are constantly available, constantly responsive. Data bears this out, and you couple that with being in an increasingly global economy. And it really truly means that some of the employees I survey and work with are working every hour of the day Mm. and night because their teams are distributed all over the world. They might be working on drug development, which has, you know, a a really rapid pace and they literally cannot unplug from their work. And Mm. so this hyper-competitive environment means that people need to differentiate themselves even more to succeed and that companies need to do the same. And so there's a lot of pressure both at the individual and organizational level to be always on. Mm. And and um, as we said, we're going to come back and talk about what we can do about this. Um, um, but I, I want to, something else you said, okay, about being always on. And I'm just wondering how much of this is cultural also um you know i live in germany and and the germans have six weeks vacation each year and um they take it okay Um, now they may be plugged in they may have their laptops and their phones and everything with them but they take that vacation um is is time valued or approached differently in different cultures? Because when I talk to my American friends, you know, they're like, we have two weeks vacation and we can't take any. You know, what kind of cultural influences are there? Absolutely. So we have a couple of research papers on this topic and it our value that we ascribe to 
work versus leisure is absolutely societally determined. So we observe in countries that have a higher proportion of respondents that value leisure over work also have happier citizens, regardless of the GDP of their country. And you can guess which countries are at the top. They're the European countries that have a lot of paid vacation, the Nordic countries that have a lot of social support where leisure is prioritized over work. Um, And then, of course, at the bottom are places like the U.S., where Protestant work ethic has a strong historical precedent and people value work. And there's a cult of busyness, a a status symbol in the U.S. that actually doesn't exist in European countries. There's this Mm. great study showing that in the U.S. we confer high status and prestige to people who seem like they never have a free second available. Yet, if you run the same study in Italy, that person is seen as low status, and the person who has a lot of status is the person who's taking a wonderful vacation whenever they want. So there is a lot of cross-cultural differences in the extent to which we put work first and think that that's the right thing to do in our lives. Yeah, that that's interesting because I I really see that when I'm in in Europe and then when I travel back to the to the United States, um and and you know now just talking about e- the cultural difference, but you know we've all had a cultural change now. Every single one of us it doesn't matter where if it's in Germany or Italy or in the U.S. with this pandemic, okay, and um, we've brought this this work culture into the home. Um, what what kind of impact have you seen from that? Yeah, so globally representative data suggests the current moment that we're in is a perfect example of Parkinson's law. So work has expanded to fill the time that we have available, which means, mm-hmm. of course, people are working even more regardless of where they live. So in using Microsoft Teams data, which just assesses when you send emails, when your meetings are, my colleagues observed in a data set of 3 million remote workers during the pandemic that the workday is expanded by about an hour, which is the time that employees used to spend commuting. So we're now not having that clear demarcation mm-hmm. between work and personal. And that we're also sending more emails. More of these emails are happening after quote unquote work hours, nine to five. And that we're also having more meetings because every conversation has to be a meeting. So regardless of where we live, now that we're working in a fully remote environment where we're working and living in the same physical space, we're definitely focusing more on work as opposed to leisure. And that's in part driven by the fact that you know, some people feel like, what am I supposed to do in my leisure time anyway? So might as well just work. And that's coupled, <laughs> of course, with this economic recession that we're in. Jobs are more precarious now because companies are downsizing. Mm. So this is this these all of these factors together. And some people manage their stress by throwing themselves into work. So all of these factors together are creating even a, a higher pressure cooker. People are feeling even more stressed out and burnt out. And then you add childcare responsibilities on top yes. of it. And it is... Um, Definitely a very stressful time, a very time poor time for most yeah. people in the world right now. Yeah, yeah the, it, it certainly is. Um, Ashley, we're going to take a short break, and when we come back, I, I want to talk about you know you the time traps because you talk about six time traps and you talk about them in your book. And when we are in this stressful time, and maybe by trying to learn about your observation about time traps, we can kind of uh, reflect on ourselves and our our employees. And for our listeners, we are talking with Ashley Willens, and she's the author of Time Smart: How to Reclaim Your Time and Live a Happier Life. And she is the assistant professor at Harvard Business School and a leading scholar 
in the time and happiness research field. She is also part of the Global Happiness Council and the Workplace and Wellbeing Initiative at Harvard University. And she advises many companies on workplace well-being strategies um, for both nonprofits and profits. Now, if you'd like to reach out to Ashley, you can reach out to her on LinkedIn under Ashley Williams, and that's W-H-I-L-L-A-N-S. And on Instagram under um, Ash, Ashley Williams. And on she's also on the um, HBS Education website. If you look for um, Ashley Williams, you can find her there. And you've been listening, you are listening to Leadership Beyond Borders. And we're also brought to you by CINDA. And CINDA holds conferences, market research, and legislative white papers focused on digital. And you can learn more about CINDA under www.cinda.org. And with that, we're going to take a short break and we'll be right back. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. In business, many leaders have a great vision, but find their companies are lacking adequate execution. Transformative Experts with host Chris Elias takes you behind the scenes with real-life business leaders and transformative experts who can pinpoint why. Listen to learn how company culture drives execution to optimize results. How can you afford to miss it? Tune in live every Monday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time and 8 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. And catch our weekly replay on the Voice America Influencers Channel, Sundays at 10 a.m. Pacific Time and 1 p.m. Eastern Time. The latest business information is made simple with the Voice America Business Network. The professionals in the business world bring you live talk radio shows featuring an array of business topics, strategies for building wealth, sales and marketing, stock trading, investing, and business technology. Voice America business hosts are professionals in their fields and bring to the airwaves weekly business discussions that offer up-to-date information, advice, and education. The Voice America Business Network. The bottom line in business talk. Tune in each week for the Labenthal Report with hosts Dominic Tavella and Michael Hartzman. The Labenthal Report keeps you in tune with market conditions, investment opportunities, and outlooks based on the stories and headlines to keep you in touch with your financial success. Are you picking the right financial path? Find out by listening to The Labenthal Report live every Tuesday at 5 p.m. Eastern Time and 2 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. are listening to Leadership Beyond Borders. Do you have a question or comment about our show? Please send an email to leadershipbeyondborders at gmail.com. Again, that's leadershipbeyondborders at gmail.com. Now back to this week's program. Welcome back to Leadership Beyond Borders on Voice America's business channel. I'm Kimberly Lewis, your host. And today we're talking about 
time. And we are speaking with Ashley Williams, and she's the author of Time Smart, How to Reclaim Your Time and Live a Happier Life. And she is also the assistant professor at Harvard Business School and a leading scholar in the time and happiness research field. She is also part of the Global Happiness Council and the Workplace and Wellbeing Initiative at Harvard University. So welcome back, Ashley. Um, we were just kind of taking a look at what's going on in the world, you know, and how everything has shifted. And I asked you about um, the pandemic and uh, you know, your, your answer, I mean, you're right. I think it, it is an example of of we're all a little bit stressed, um, we're bringing work home, um, we actually, we don't have leisure time anymore because a lot of us can't go out of the house like here in Europe, okay? Um, and um, so you you talk in your book about time traps, okay? So can we, can we explore that a little bit? You talk about six time traps, can we take a look at them one by one? Sure. Yeah. So we've talked a lot about, um, we've talked at least some about these time traps already. So the first time trap are really things that, so kind of an overview of what this time trap concept is, is that it's uh, a way to think about the factors that can make us feel overwhelmed by the demands of work and life, or that can make us feel time poor. They're the most commonly identified factors by the research. And it's really important for all of us to think a little bit about which ones we fall into as a way to guide what kind of strategies, time management strategies we want to take in our personal and professional lives to try to overcome the feelings of time poverty we might be experiencing. So the first strategy is this constant connection to technology. As we've already been talking about, cell phones, laptops, and other technology interrupts us and fragments our work and leisure into what some researchers call time confetti, which creates stress. It pulls us out of the present and into other things we could or should be doing. And it also enables us to multitask, which research suggests is not very good from a cognitive attention standpoint. Uh, (laughs) Not very, we're not doing very effective work if we're constantly switching back and forth between one email, one Slack channel and back and forth and our Word document where we're supposed to be working on important and not necessarily urgent work. And in, in technology, I'd just like to explore that for a little bit further because um, you talk about this this time confetti. Can you just explain that a little bit more? Yeah. So as I was briefly mentioning in the last segment, we were talking about the fact that data suggests we actually have more time for leisure than we used to, but we feel like we have less leisure. So what accounts for that discrepancy? Well, part of what accounts for it is the fact that our technology breaks up one hour of leisure, for example, used to have an hour after dinner, after the dishes were done to spend quality time with our friends and family or engage in our favorite hobby. And instead of having fully enjoying and being present in the moment of that one hour, our technology disrupts that one hour into smaller bite-sized units of time that easily go missing. So now that one hour might be five minutes, then you get an alert on your phone, then it's like another 20 minutes, and then you mm. go to your inbox for a while. And so some of our leisure time has started to go missing as a result of this time confetti, where we can't actually use our leisure time for something really meaningful or enjoyable, because we're constantly getting pulled out of the present moment and into our inboxes. Mm. Uh, that, that's, you know, that we live that every day. And I've never thought about it the way you put it. Um, and I have I, I have a question about that because we as adults, okay, that's happening. 
What kind of effect do you think this has on the kids watching us, our behavior? You know, are they going to have more stress, be more time stressed than we are? Do you think? Um, do you have any studies, you know, on that kind of effect? I there is some work by one of my colleagues suggesting that, especially in young kids, the extent to which they're distracted by their technology produces inattention higher Mm. levels of inattention that almost mirror subclinical levels of ADHD. Mm. But I think also what I've observed in talking to some of my colleagues, one of my favorite examples, I was giving a talk and one of my colleagues gave this example in their talk uh, at this conference we were both at, where their child drew them in a family photo as a laptop instead (laughs) of their face. Their face was replaced with a computer. And that really strikes me as, you know, I'm getting ready to have a family. And that strikes me as something we all want to avoid. Our kid sees us as being completely immersed in our technology. And you can't, it's hard to imagine that that's not impacting how they think you think of them and how they think that it's okay to be constantly connected to their phones as well. So when you get into later years, like teenage years, and you want your child to not be on their phone or technology as much, you better be sure that you've modeled good technology behavior yourself earlier on. Otherwise, they really have the norm that they're setting themselves against is yours, and you are probably constantly connected to technology. I mean, I laugh, but to be honest with you, it's not that it's not funny. Okay, <laughs> no, but um, uh, yeah, that. And when you when, when you think about um, family, another another time trap you talk about is undervalued time. Okay, and um, what what do you mean by that? Yeah, so it's interesting, but we often give too much credibility, too much in weight or importance to work and making money as a path to greater happiness. And we undervalue or underrecognize the value of time and time saving as a path to greater happiness. So research suggests that people incorrectly believe that money, not time, will bring them greater happiness. And if they work and make money now, they'll have more time to relax in the future. But data suggests that making money only leads to an increased interest in making more money. And if anything, the data suggests that if you're in the top 10% in your country for income, your happiness starts to decline because you start to compare yourselves to even people with even more money than you have. So unless you're at the very top 1%, you're likely to experience a decrease in happiness as you start to make more money. You probably also have more expenses, so you might feel more stressed to work even more to keep up with your lifestyle. And so this idea that going after money and wealth as a path to greater happiness is somewhat of a trap. It's not necessarily a bad thing to want to have financial success, but we need to break this if-then thinking that so many of us engage in, which is, well, I'll focus on time, leisure, and social relationships once I get to a certain point in my career. Because the truth of the matter is we habituate to our circumstances. So once we've reached that next milestone financially or professionally, we're going to be looking toward the next one and we're going to continue to defer our happiness into a hypothetical future that might not actually come. And so this is why it's so important to try to find moments of joy, satisfaction and meaning each and every day and not to defer all of our happiness, satisfaction, hobbies, social relationships into the future. Mm-hmm. Um, on that subject, uh, it triggered a thought to me, is there any generational difference there? Because, you know, we we hear a lot about the Generation Z now, um, you know, they 
they focus more on their time, um, uh, not that interested in money. But then on the other hand, you know, everybody wants to be the CEO of Facebook, you know. Um, so um, is, there any, is there any generational difference on this kind of um, undervalued time or, or focus on time? Yeah, so I have a couple of research papers that speak to this. I actually observed that as we get older, we're more likely to focus on time versus money. This is consistent with other research suggesting that as we get older, we start to recognize more aptly the finite limited value of our time. And so we start prioritizing meaningful experiences as opposed to more you know, creative knowledge pursued ideas are just sort of like, you know, spreading ourselves very thin. So we start to become more protective of our time as we age. And I definitely observe this in our data. It's also driven by the fact that this money focus is created in part by financial uncertainty and so and insecurity. So as we age, we tend to have more financial stability as opposed to less. And so we're more able to focus on time as opposed to money. But we do observe differences, not necessarily in time focus among younger individuals who actually tend to be slightly more money focused, again, because they're really trying to get ahead in their careers and they have a lot of financial milestones to save for. But we do observe generational differences among college students in terms of autonomy, flexibility. So there's been in what they want out of their work, if you will. So younger generations do tend to really prioritize flexibility, autonomy, working for a purpose-driven company, having some of these perks that allow them to take time off. So there is some credibility to this idea that younger generations of workers really are looking for something different in the workplace experience. And so one way of recruiting and retaining top younger talent is to really play to this idea that they'll be able to craft their own careers, work when and how they want to, Mm -hmm. and that they're working for a socially driven reason, even if it's not part of their main job, if they have the opportunity to contribute to a social cause as part of an additional extracurricular activity, that's really appealing for younger generations in our data. Yeah. That probably makes sense. I see that with some of the younger generations that's working within our organization. Um, to, to move on in these six time traps, um, one, of the, one of the ones you talk about is the, the kind of yes virus. I call it a virus. That's my word. Um, and, and saying yes. Can you talk about that? Yeah. So research suggests this is part of the planning fallacy. So we often think we'll get things done faster than we actually do. Mm-hmm. Um, similarly, we often are overly optimistic about how much time we'll have tomorrow. So we think we're going to have more time tomorrow than we do today. And this over-optimism means that we say yes to many requests for our future time and then later regret it when the time comes and we find ourselves overcommitted. So one simple way of uh, reducing time affluence is to think about whether when you're saying yes to something, could you do that thing today? And if the answer is no, you're probably actually not going to have more time in the future, two to three weeks from now or three months from now. Actually, you're probably going to have less time tomorrow, <laughs> especially if you're the yes type of person. And so it's really important to ask ourselves, to remind ourselves of the opportunity cost of saying yes, that if we say yes to something, we're automatically going to say no to something else. We have less free time in the future. And that probably our calendars are not as free as they seem. If we're busy now, we're also going to be busy in the future. It's interesting because we're less good at doing this for time than money. When it comes to money, we know that 
the value of 50 bucks now or $5,000 now is going to be pretty consistent across time. We know it's valuable now. It's probably going to be valuable in six months or in a year. But when it comes to time and especially small increments of time, one or two hours here and there, that's really valuable today because we're super busy running from uh, Zoom activity to Zoom activity in today's world. Um, but in three months or six months, we don't think that time has any value at all. So we more mm-hmm. heavily discount time as opposed to money in the future. Mm-hmm. And um, I'm interested if you have on this this yes time trap, that, do you have any indication that is there any uh, gender, uh, you know, is one gender, you know, are women more likely to be in this time trap than men? Do you have any studies on that? We do with regard to deadline extension requests. So I think it, it kind of paints a similar picture to where you're going. We see that women are less likely to ask for more time on adjustable deadlines at work as mm-hmm. compared to men because they're more worried about what that ask they're more worried about the evaluation that might come along with asking for more time. So you could also imagine that that would play out similarly with regard to saying no, women might be more worried about saying no. And some research Mm -hmm. has suggested that this is the case, but we've also observed organizational interventions that can help get rid of this gender difference. So simply making like the ability to ask for more time on adjustable project at work, a workplace policy and having a formal statement about it and then allowing employees to ask not their direct manager but a third party for that extension can help to make those gender differences go away Mm -hmm. yeah that's um those are some of the studies i i have read about and and being in women's leadership um uh, i see a lot of women get in this time trap because they're afraid to say no okay yeah (laughs) and and it's uh, really interesting because we have some good data suggesting that those fears are overblown so -hmm. women are miscalibrated, we overestimate the negative consequences. We have behavioral data showing that managers don't more harshly judge women as compared to men and actually don't really judge employees that harshly at all for asking more time or for Mm -hmm. saying no, as long as they're doing it in a proactive way with giving that manager a lot of time Mm -hmm. to find someone else or to adjust the timelines of a project. Okay, with that, with that, Ashley, we're going to take a short break again, and we'll come back, maybe touch on the last time traps, and then maybe a little discussion on, on what can we do about this, okay? You know, um, uh, you know this is, it's interesting. I think just talking about it makes us reflect, but maybe you have some tips for, for our listeners on, on how they can manage their own situation. Um, and for our listeners, we are speaking with Ashley Willens, and she's the author of Time Smart how to reclaim your time and live a happier life. She is the assistant professor at Harvard Business School and a leading scholar in the time and happiness research field. She is part of the Global Happiness Council and the Workplace and Wellbeing Initiative at Harvard University. And she advises companies on workplace and well-being strategies, both nonprofit and profit companies. Now, if you'd like to reach out to Ashley, you can reach out to her on LinkedIn under Ashley Williams, and that's W-H-I-L-L-A-N-S. And she's on Instagram under Dr. Ashley Williams. And you can also find her on the Harvest Business School Education Faculty website, which is under www.hbs.edu slash faculty and just find her name there. And if you have questions, you can contact me at leadershipbeyondborders at gmail.com. And with that, we're going to take a short break and we'll be right back. 
follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. Everybody has the key to a good story. Business is made up of some of the best. Starting a business from the ground up. Acquisitions, reinventing business and personal lives. Stories of fraud, lessons, good stories, and not so good ones. They all come together on Business Disrupted with Ted Gavin. We'll learn what lives behind the scenes of some of the most interesting figures and companies in business. Tune in every Monday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time and 1 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Voice America programs are now available on your favorite connected device, including Amazon, Alexa, and Google Home. Through streams with Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, and iHeartRadio, listening to your favorite show is as easy as saying the show name followed by the word podcast. Hey, Alexa, play Finding Your Frequency podcast. If that doesn't work, try adding on TuneIn or on iHeartRadio or on Apple Podcasts. Tired of the Get Rich Quick or How to Flip Home shows? Are you ready to step up your game and invest in commercial real estate? James Nelson, a top New York City broker, will show you step-by-step how to acquire, operate, and profit. You'll also hear from real estate legends on how they made their fortunes and industry experts on strategies for success. Tune in to Real Estate Investing, live from New York, on Tuesdays at 7 p.m. Eastern Time, 4 p.m. Pacific Time, on Voice America Business. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Leadership Beyond Borders. Do you have a question or comment about our show? Please send an email to leadershipbeyondborders at gmail.com. Again, that's leadershipbeyondborders at gmail.com. Now back to this week's program. Welcome back to Leadership Beyond Borders. I'm Kimberly Lewis, your host. And today we are talking about time. And we are speaking with Ashley Williams, the author of Time Smart, How to Reclaim Your Time and Live a Happier Life. And she's the assistant professor at Harvard Business School and a leading scholar in the time and happiness research field. She's also part of the Global Happiness Council and the Workplace and Wellbeing Initiative at Harvard University. Now, um, Ashley, before before the break, we were talking about the time traps, um, the six time traps that you talk about in your book. And I advise the listeners to get the book and read it. It's a great read. And um, when when we're talking about this, you you mentioned something about time affluence. What what exactly did you mean by that, and what is that? Yeah, so at the beginning of the conversation, we were talking about time poverty, which is feeling like you don't have enough time to do all of the things that you want to do or have to do. Time affluence is the antithesis of time poverty. It's feeling like you have enough time to do all the things that you want to do or have to do. Or you can think about it as your average workday looks pretty similar to how your ideal workday would look like. So you've got kind of a similar set of activities that you're doing in a day as to what your ideal day might look like. Mm-hmm. And so how do we how do we start to, you know, build our vision of our ideal day and how do we, you know, what would you suggest we do to, to try to do that? 
So like everything, whenever we're trying to start new habits, it's good to do an audit of our current behavior, just like you might do if you're trying to cut back on discretionary spending. One activity that I suggest is that we all engage in a time audit. So pick an average workday, something that's sort of typical, because that's when you're likely to experience stress and all of the demands of work and life are likely to come up. And think about the activities, the major activities that you did in the morning, the afternoon, and the evening. Then you want to look at each of these kind of major activities and ask yourself which activities were enjoyable, so pleasant or meaningful, productive, and which activities were unpleasant and unproductive. And can you get rid of any of the unproductive, non-meaningful activities? It's important to separate meaningful and positive activities from one another because some of the activities we do in a day are high in meaning, maybe training for a half marathon or taking care of our kids, but might not feel very good at the time that we're doing Mm -hmm. them. Similarly with major work projects, engaging in productive activities might feel somewhat stressful at the time, but they're productive at the very least. So that's a good thing. But some of the activities that we find ourselves doing on a daily basis, mindless data entry that maybe could be delegated to a colleague, household chores, those are likely to fall into the quadrant of unproductive and stressful. And we want to think about starting with those activities, getting rid of the activities that bring us stress and misery and having more time to engage in activities that are productive or satisfying. Yeah, that make that makes sense. I mean, as you start to get rid of it, do, uh, do you recommend like doing kind of um, a systematic change, like one little thing or one little step at the same time, or kind of biting off? You taking a big bite of the apple and, and getting rid of those little things. What's the best way to go approach that? I would start small, like any habit change behavior. You don't start training for a half marathon by throwing yourself for through a 15-minute or 15-mile <laughs> run if you've never jogged before. So similarly, because uh, many of us find ourselves time poor and struggling, I would just start small. Try to find 30 minutes in a day where you can engage in more activities that are pleasant and meaningful. Perhaps in an unexpected break between meetings, don't just spend that 30 minutes checking your inbox, which is unpleasant and stressful. Try to fill that time with something that's more positive, texting a friend, reaching out to a family member, walking around the block once or twice. Even these small changes can start to get us more in a mindset toward valuing time over work. Mm-hmm. And and when you're, when you're saying mindset, um, I'm going to come back to the cultural question I had asked before, because, you know, when when you're looking at these chunks of time, you go through your average day, you know, sitting down to dinner might be one. Um, and if you sit down to dinner in in Italy or in France, you know, it, it's, it's a really pleasant activity um, and maybe not always in all other cultures. So... Um, I, I guess this is kind of almost a, a question. And should you relook at the activities also, not just see what's unpleasant, but kind of ask yourself, well, why is it unpleasant? Or should, can I make this what I think is a task into something pleasant? Yes, absolutely. So you're touching on this idea of reframing time. There are definitely uh-huh. activities which are unenjoyable and stressful, but that we have to do either at work or in our personal lives. Maybe we choose to do all of the chores in our household because we want to set a good example for our kids. So we're not going to spend money to outsource in that way. So there are activities that can reframe this time to make it more positive. In the case of household chores, me and my husband will listen to our favorite podcasts or an ebook while folding the laundry that makes that, that kind of negative experience somewhat more positive. 
Similarly, we can do this at work. My PhD student has a paper showing that when we have to engage in low-level, unenjoyable tasks at work, simply reminding ourselves that this task is helping our colleagues get work done can make us feel less stressed and more satisfied in completing that activity. And finally, we can also reframe our leisure time so we're more present, less likely to be distracted by our technology. My colleagues recently published a paper showing that going into the upcoming weekend and thinking about that weekend like a vacation, simply doing this mental reframing of treating an upcoming weekend like a vacation can make us enjoy that weekend more, experience greater happiness, and be more present in the moment and less distracted by our technology. Mm-hmm. And that's really great. And I had to laugh when you said the laundry because um, when when we're allowed to go to the fitness clubs, which in Europe we're not now, I hate going. And I go for two <laughs> hours, but I've completely – I listen to audio books now. And and actually, I look forward to going because it's kind of my downtime to listen to a book. Okay, So, so yeah, reframing is good. But you also talked about outsourcing. What's outsourcing? Yeah, so outsourcing is this idea of – funding time. So you can give up some of your discretionary income that you're working so hard to make to have more and better time, such as by purchasing autonomous products like Roombas that will save time, ordering takeout, having your house cleaned. My research suggests that even spending as little as $40 on a time-saving purchase in a consistent manner in a typical month can produce significant benefits for happiness and relationship satisfaction. Very interestingly, though, you have to think about your purchases as a time-saving purchase. We've done some research on autonomous products, and it's not enough to own a Roomba. You have to think about that Roomba as a time-saving purchase because Mm -hmm. the act of thinking about your consumer purchases as saving time can help you then spend the free time that you're gaining better. So you're almost realizing, oh, hey, yeah, right, I have this purchase. It saves me time. Now that I've saved that time, what should I do with it instead? But in the absence of going through that mental exercise, you're likely to just spend that additional time working and not even notice you saved any time at all. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That that makes a lot of sense. Um, you know, and when, well, as we're going through this, uh, and and you said taking the time audit, I think that makes a lot of sense. Trying to make small steps. Um, a lot of us have kind of default modes, you know, settings that we just keep repeating and repeating, you know, how can we kind of reset those? Yeah, so one default mode might be around consumer purchases. In the United States, um, the average consumer spends about two to three hours researching each and every purchase they make that's under $100. (laughs) And so you can think about the fact that that is wasting a lot of time. And actually, the savings that you're going to get of a couple bucks maybe isn't even (laughs) worth the time cost based on your hourly wage of what you're investing. So if you find yourself engaging in what I would call a time-wasting activity, just stop and realize you're doing it. Ask yourself why you're doing it. If it doesn't bring you joy, it's not going to save you a bunch of money, and it's coming at the cost of spending quality time together with your spouse uh, or your kids. Ask yourself, can I stop doing what I'm doing? Is it really worth it? Just by starting to ask yourself, both be mindful of activities that you're engaging in that are wasting your time and then ask yourself the small why question of why are you doing this and could your time be spent in a better way? This is going to start creating a positive feedback loop while you start catching yourself more and more. And and then you can start acting on this behavior because, again, so much of our behavior is based on habits that are 
happening without our <laughs> real conscious attention. So as long as we start paying attention yeah. to the mindless behaviors we're engaging in, we have a better chance of changing our behavior as a result. Uh, I, I have to laugh at that because I was thinking about the four hours I spent researching, trying to find two children's washes, my nieces um, that count their steps. And I ended up with the first one that I found the, <laughs> the first minute. <laughs> so it's true. Um, so Ashley, we have a lot of managers, you know, from companies and listening. Um, and, and, you know, th- a lot of this is our own self. It's our self-management. Okay. But, but is there anything that companies and, and, and governments can do to help us be better, you know, to yeah. help their employees? Yeah, so I talk a lot about this in the last chapter of my book, and I think it's such an important topic because time management is not just an individual issue. We've been talking so much about how organizations and and society makes us time poor. Um, And so I think organizations can play a major role, even implementing clear norms around acceptable email policies, making it clear that sending emails outside of office hours is unacceptable. Places like France have gone as far as fine employees who send emails outside of working hours. These small strategies can go a long way in protecting employees' time and making them feel as if they're allowed to take a break from their work. Um, We've also advocated for this idea in of flexible work hours, four-day work weeks. And there is seeming data that's coming out suggesting happier employees are more productive. And so it really is up to organizations and managers to not just leave time management up to each individual employee, but to be setting systems up around employees that really help them survive and thrive. Think about rewarding employees with time, have clear conversations with employees about what's acceptable time management behavior, especially among leaders. So obviously employees take their cues from their direct managers. Mm. And if the direct manager is emailing at all hours of the day and night, I've seen this because I've done this when I used to travel <laughs> extensively for work, I'd be in a different time zone, email one of my students at 3 a.m. because it was a totally appropriate time to be emailing for me, forgetting that it was inappropriate to email them and then that sends them a panic they get up they start working on stuff in the middle of the night and anything we can do to mitigate some of this urgency effect that's not necessarily productive and coming at the cost of the sustainability of our teams is really important we've also been advocating in this fully remote environment for creating breaks boundaries and transitions Mm. One company has, uh, Microsoft recently took one of our recommendations from an HBR we wrote and put it into practice. So they created a virtual commute for their employees. So they're not allowed to schedule meetings between 8 a.m. and 9 a.m. when they would have been spending commuting. They have to do something else instead. Leaving breaks in between meetings is important, not only so employees can go get food and not be starving on Zoom calls all day, (laughs) but also because uh, it allows for informal conversations that have gone missing in the virtual environment. Mm. So I think although this moment has been really challenging, it also provides us with an opportunity to experiment in ways that we've never experimented before, Mm. to be more agile as leaders, and to really think critically about managing employees' most important resource, that is their time in this fully remote environment. Yeah, great, great closing words, Ashley. Um, as we're getting towards the the end of our show, um, we only have a couple more minutes. Um, one last sentence: If you had just one message to give everybody, what would that would be? I would say find one activity that brings them joy that they can complete in thirty minutes and do it today. Don't do it tomorrow. Don't put it off to next week. Find thirty minutes to do that positive, meaningful activity today, right now. 
great. Super, super last words. And um, Ashley, thank you so much for being with us. And for our listeners, we've been talking to Ashley Willens, and she's the author of Time Smart, How to Reclaim Your Time and Live a Happier Life. And she is the assistant professor at Harvard Business School and a leading scholarship scholar in time and happiness research field. She's part of the Global Happiness Council and the Workplace and Wellbeing Initiative at Harvard. And she works with many companies, profit and nonprofit, on helping them find well-being strategies for their businesses. You can reach out to Ashley on LinkedIn under Ashley Williams, and it's W-H-I-L-L-A-N-S. And she's on Instagram under Dr. Ashley Williams. And you can find her on the Harvard Business School faculty. And that website is www.hbs.ed. And uh, you have been listening to Leadership Beyond Borders on Voice America's business channel. And this this show is also brought to you by Cinda. And Cinda does virtual trainings, conferences, market research, and legisla- legislative white papers focused on digital transitions. So please go to www.cinda.org for more information about Cinda. And to, don't forget to tune into uh, us every Tuesday at 3 p.m. And if you happen to miss us live, then don't worry because we're on every major podcast platform and you can catch us then. So, Ashley, once again, thank you so much for taking the time to be with us. Thank you for having me. It's been really educational, and I urge the listeners to do get your book. Um, I've read it, and I'm trying to implement things step by step. <laughs> so um, it, it's a, it was a great read. And with that, thank you for listening, and tune in to us next week. Goodbye. Thank you for joining us on Leadership Beyond Borders. Please tune in again next Tuesday at 3 p.m. U.S. Pacific Time for another edition featuring your host, Kimberly J. Lewis, on the Voice America Business Channel. Have a great week.